Have you ever faced a situation that just seemed bigger than yourself? Maybe you're currently in one. Maybe you've gone through a recent job change, or maybe you're planning on moving. Maybe there's a relationship you're in that's in a little distressed. I want you to think about a time where you face that situation. You, f- you find yourself asking, how did I get here? How am I going to get through this? Maybe as we work through this series, you've addressed some of those, those deep issues, those deep-rooted lies that are in your life. Maybe they've, they've found some way for you to work through some of that trauma that's been built up in your life, so you're like, I... I need to start diving into those things. And maybe it's a grief that just gripped you and took you to a deep place. What do those situations look like in your life where you, you, it looks like you're standing in front of a wall? There's a situation and you just, you don't know how to get through. That's what we're going to push in today. As we've journeyed through this series, we've been able to address some of those lies in our life. But one thing that I've learned through the series is when we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. When we see these walls, these situations that just seem bigger than life, they seem bigger than what we can handle on our own, God sees opportunities. Because God sees through these situations when we're looking straight at them. In our own power, it's hard to see through them. But today what I want to do is to look to find a way that we can see through these in a way that we, in which God intended us to see through some of these situations that just seem bigger than ourselves. As we've gone through this 12-week series, we've gone through a lot of different things. One of the, one of the stories Pastor Aaron talked about was uh, we talked about the Israelites as they, they left Egypt. They left slavery. They left captivity and they'd entered into the desert. One of their temptations as they entered the desert is they longed for what they used to have, where they used to imagine that things were better when they were in slavery. And Moses had to continually remind them, like, no, we are, ent- we, we are walking um, into the promised land. God has promised us something better than what was. So we've learned to address those lies and to create new ruts in, uh, in the ways of our thinking. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the other end of the story. I want, to, I want to take a jump past the slavery and the captivity of the Israelites. And I want to look at when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. And so what we're going to do, we're going to uh, go through Joshua 5 and 6 today. Uh, it's two chapters, so I don't intend on reading it all. So I'm going to preface, preface some of it for you, and then we're going to read some of it. And uh, we're going to journey through that with Joshua. And we're going to learn a little bit from Joshua today about how he responded when he saw an obstacle that seemed bigger than himself. So let's go ahead and read through some of this. So uh, as we get to Joshua, Moses had just passed away and handed the torch of leadership on to Joshua. So he is now leading the Israelites. And one of the first things that they do is that they walk through the Red Sea, right? Led by the Ark of the Covenant, the sea dries up and they enter into Canaan, which is the promised land. Much like on the opposite side, when the Israelites um, left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea into the desert. You see the, the symmetry on the side of the story. So they're entering into the promised land. As they enter into the promised land, they begin um, 
cultivating from the earth. So they, can, they begin getting food from the ground and the manna dries up. And then Joshua enters in and he sees that Jericho is the city that is the first thing that they encounter. So Jericho is a major throughway of goods. Um, and it's a, it's a Canaanite city uh, that worshiped the moon gods. And so it was, uh, some, it was kind of a, a desolate city to God. So this is the first thing that Jericho encounters um, as they enter into the promised land. So that's where the story picks up. So Joshua 5, verses 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then Joshua, or then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets and rams' horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua took his advice and he went back to the Israelites and he laid out the game plan for them. And so what they did is they followed Joshua's lead. They followed the command and they circled the city once a day for six days. And we pick up again in verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Keep away from the devoted things so that they're not to bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israelites liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. So the Lord was with with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all of the land. And as I look at this story, I see Joshua and his leadership entering into Canaan. And the first thing that he comes upon is Jericho. This massive wall, this massive obstacle to what he perceived as he was entering into the promised land. And what I think is amazing, that this was his first obstacle as they enter the promised land. But when Joshua sees Jericho, God sees the promised land. When Joshua walked into this first obstacle that was in his way, God had such a bigger game plan in store because he knew what was to come. Because Jericho wasn't the obstacle. It was just the first step into entering the promised land. And I think sometimes we get stuck in front of that first obstacle without seeing what God has beyond those plans. And I think Joshua began to recognize this, and he responded in a way, and I think we need to pay attention to. So I think he responded in two different ways. 
Joshua responded with trust and obedience. Joshua responded with trust and obedience as he, he was leading the Israelites into the promised land. And I think we can learn from Joshua and how he responded. So what I want to do today is I want to break down these two things. I want to look at how Joshua responded with trust and with obedience. And there's a few things in each of those that we can learn. The first one is we, we look at how Joshua responded with trust. He trusted in God's promises. He trusted in God's promises. The first way he simply did this is as he was leading the Israelites, he knew that God had promised Moses, and even goes back to Abram, that they would enter into the promised land. So he was trusting in what had happened. He had trusting in the promise that had been given generations ago. And he knew what that was as he entered into the promised land. So he was fulfilling that promise that was put on the Israelites. And the second thing is that as an army of the Lord's, or an angel of the Lord's army came, he said, you will take this city. He said, you will take this city. That was another promise that Joshua had to stand on. Even though it was in a very unconventional way, probably isn't how I would uh, take a city. Joshua had to trust in that promise to come true. Because one thing that I've learned is that God never fails to fulfill his promises. God never fails to fulfill his promise. And Joshua lived a life of obedience because he knew God's promises. He filled his heart with God's promises. So he knew that as he was entering into the promised land, as he was coming up a game plan to take over Jericho, that God would never fail his, or he would never fail to fulfill his promise. I think that's something that we can hold on to as we look at what's God, what God's promises are, as we're reading through scripture, as we're filling our hearts with God's truth. We can trust that he will never fail to fulfill his promises. So as I look at my own life, what, what truths am I filling my heart with, knowing that God will not fail those promises, that I can trust in him when I'm filling my heart with those things? I think that's the first thing we can learn from Joshua. Because the next thing, after Joshua trusts in his promises, he trusts in God's provision. He trusts in God's provision. Because as they entered into the promised land, they began working the land. Because it, uh, it was a very fertile land. They began getting the crops from the land. But the very day that they started doing that, hear this in verse uh, 5, verse 12. The manna stopped the day after they ate this fruit from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. So God's provision of what what sustained them in the desert, what they relied on, it dried up. It happened no longer. They began eating from the earth, from the ground, from the things that they produced. Because I think we struggle with this when things begin to change. Because when it seems like God is taking something away from us, he is often leading us into something more. So though the manna dried up, God was giving them something far greater. He was letting them produce from the earth, which was going to sustain them much longer. So when God takes something away from us, sometimes those things are hard, but often he's leading us into something more. I think Joshua trusted in God's provision, even when the manna dried up. 
because he was relying on God's promises. And he knew the land that they were walking into. And I think the last thing we can see about how Joshua trusted God was he trusted God's protection. Joshua was about to lead the Israelites into battle against this massive city called Jericho. And one of the things I was speculating is if you've been in captivity, if you've been in the desert wandering for 40 years, there's a couple generations that happen. There's kids that are raised up in the desert. And as they cross the Red Sea, if you were younger than 40 and a part of this army, you may never have seen a city before. You may never have seen a city before. And so as they're walking around this city, right, the younger kids, the younger generation in that army never had seen the city before. So you're walking around, and I guarantee you as they're walking around the city, on top of the city walls, there's probably an army just watching you. I think Joshua had to trust in God's protection as he came up with a game plan to circle the city, pretty much being like live targets for whoever is on top of that city wall. He had to trust in God's protection because he was led by priests in the ark. He had to trust in God's protection as they walked around the city. And all I can think about is is, uh, Psalms 91. Right? David says it this way. He says, I will say this to the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because we can trust God as our refuge. We can trust God for our protection. Even when we're facing these obstacles that just seem bigger than ourselves. We can trust God as our best interest at heart. We can trust him for our protection. And we can see how God was able to trust God. We can see how Joshua was able to trust God. We can also see how he was obedient. So he was able to to, to respond in obedience, to take those next steps, to do something with that. And so what I want to look at next is how did Joshua respond in obedience? How did he take action because of the trust that he had in God? I think Joshua's obedient. The very first thing that we see is Joshua was, was obedient to follow God's plan, even though it was very unconventional. Joshua followed God's plan, even though it was extremely unconventional. If somebody were to tell me, you're going to overtake this city, right? I'm going to come up with a better game plan than walking around it blaring horns. I'm going to come up with, I'm going to like try to flank the city. I'm going to like sneak in through a sewer. I'm going to like hide in a, like a package that's being delivered to get into. It's like, I'm going to come up with something a little bit better uh, than what Joshua had been told. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. But Joshua was obedient to follow God's plan. Even though it was unconventional. And the, scene could, the, the plan could seem a little bit silly, right? A little unconventional. But this is the one of the things that I love is that although the strategy seemed to be utter nonsense, there was no record of the Israelites complaining or questioning the plan. Because I think this generation had learned from the previous generation's grumbling in what that cost them. Because I think the obedience of the people was due to their faith in the word of God. And faith is believing 
that which God tells us, even when it seems ludicrous to us. Uh, Peter Jeffrey writes it this way, and I think this is a marvelous quote. Faith is not an irresponsible step into the unknown, but a reasonable obedience to the will and the word of a sovereign, almighty God. I'll say that one more time. Faith is not an irrespons- irresponsible step into the unknown, but a, responsible, or a, but a reasonable obedience to the will and the word of a sovereign, almighty God. Right, sometimes faith can seem silly. And it's not just making irresponsible decisions, but it's trusting and relying in the sovereign, almighty God. That's what faith truly looks like. Because then Joshua was able to lead the Israelites to walk around the city six, for six days, once a day. And that probably took an hour. Like That's my estimate. As, as you look at the archaeological site, and you looked at the track that they had to take to kind of stay far enough away so they weren't um, lit up by the archers. It probably it was about a mile around for them to walk. So for the army, it probably took them about an hour to rock, walk around the city walls. So they did that for six days. Then on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. So do the math. That probably took about seven, maybe 10 hours, depending on potty breaks. But the plan just seemed completely ludicrous. But what happened within their obedience, because they followed God's plan, the seventh time around, they sound the horns, and all the men shouted, and the walls fell down. What seemed like a massive obstacle in Joshua's way, as he was obedient and followed God's plan, as the army shouted, Joshua said, shout because the city has been given to you. He was proclaiming God's promises. The walls fell down. I think sometimes those walls can feel like obstacles in our lives. They can feel like the lies that we've been believing for so long. And when we follow God's plan, though it's unconventional, we're obedient, we understand his promises, those walls will fall down. What are those lies that you've been believing in your life that have been obstacles for so long? What are the lies that have been running through your head? You're not good enough. You can't do this. You shouldn't be here. You're not smart enough. You can't do this. What are those lies that have been running through your head? You're going to fail. It's not possible. You're allowing to direct you in a way that God doesn't want you to. Because when we follow God's plan and we're obedient, those walls will fall down. I think Joshua recognized that following God's plan and being obedient allowed God to do something that he could not do on his own. And I think this was only possible if we look at the second one, because he was led by God's presence. Joshua was led by God's presence. As this, fan, this plan unfolded, right, the Lord said, okay, put seven priests blowing trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant in front of you. As we look, as we look at the Ark of the Covenant, right, the, the Ark was from when Moses was on Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments on the tablets, And so they built the ark to put the tablets in. 
It, it was created to be able to carry the presence of Yahweh with the Israelites. And I think it says something about them allowing the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of Yahweh, to lead the army around the city. They literally were saying, we're going to let the presence of the, of the Lord, the presence of Yahweh, to lead the army into victory. They allowed the presence of the Lord to lead them. And I can only sit and ask myself, how often do I do that? When I face those situations that just seem bigger than myself, do I allow the presence of the Lord to lead me, or do I try to take a step in front of it and do it my own way? I think Joshua responded in obedience because he allowed the presence of the Lord to lead the way. And as he allowed the presence of the Lord to lead the way, God, could, God could, did only what he could do. And the walls fell down. So that our last response is that Joshua recognized that it was all for God's glory. That we can't take ownership of what God has been doing. That he is, he is tearing those walls down only in a way that something in which he could do. I think it's interesting as we, we look at the last part of that story, verses 18 through 21. As they took the city, the one thing that Joshua said, he said, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble to it. All the silver and gold and articles and bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. I think he's saying as you, as you take the city, don't take anything with you because it wasn't about you in the first place. Don't take trophies. Don't take something that's going to give you gains. He said, this wasn't about you. This was something miraculous that God did. And take the city and don't take credit for it. Like he recognized and he responded in obedience by giving God the glory that he deserved because of what he did. So now looking at the story of Joshua, we can see how we responded with trust and obedience. So then how do we, how do we practically do this once we leave here? Like what are some things that we can do to take away with us for today. And as I look through the story, there's, there's four simple things that I just want to encourage you to take away from Joshua's story that I think uh, Joshua was demonstrating for us. The first one is simply this, is don't get stuck looking at your circumstances. Don't get stuck. Because I feel like sometimes when I, when I have those situations that happen to me, it's really easy for me. To, it, it takes like a day out of me of like, I go through the situation time and time and I have it on repeat in my head, try to figure out what I could do differently, what I could have said differently, how I could respond differently. And I just sit and I dwell on it. And then it lingers. And then these lies continue to build in my head about what happened. And I think as Joshua realized that the city of Jericho was fortified, was shut down, it would have been really easy to get stuck and say, all right, no way we're going to make it. We failed, not doing it, and shut down. But he didn't. He stuck with it. So don't get stuck staring at your circumstances. I think that's one of the things we've, we've talked a lot about is don't continue to believe those lies, but how do we address those lies and give those up to God? I think Joshua was able to address that by, by, by being curious. I think that's what we got to do when we get stuck in these situations is to be curious. 
And this may or may not be the right word, but I feel like this is the one that has stuck with me because as I read what happened to Joshua at the very beginning, Joshua gets up early and he walks in, he meets a man. He looks up at a guy who's pointing a sword straight at him. If I'm going for my morning walk and I look up to somebody who's obviously bigger than me, who's pointing a sword at me, my natural reaction isn't going to be have a conversation. I'm probably going to either like run away as fast as I can or try to like tackle him. If he's like really tall, maybe go for his ankles. But my natural response isn't going to be like, hey, let's chat real quick. I think Joshua's curiosity led him to a place to try to figure out, okay, what is this actually about? What is going on here? And Joshua says, are you for me or against me? And what I love is the angel of the Lord's army, he totally flips the script. Because I think he said, those aren't the right questions. And he says, he says, neither. Because I think the real question he was saying, are you for me? I think often we try to put God in this box and we say, why are these bad things happening to me? Like, do you love me? Do you hate me? And God comes back and he says, that's not the right question. He says, are you for me? I think that curiosity led him to a place to discover that there was more to the story than he anticipated. We need to be curious. I think number three, we need to remain rooted. We need to remain rooted in the word of God. We need to allow God's presence to lead our life, but we can only do so if we continue to to stay in the word of God. Let his word light our way. Continue to live a life of prayer. Remain rooted in Christ. So when we face those obstacles, they don't overwhelm us. Because then the last point, what I've realized, is that I can't control my situations, but I can control how I respond. So the last thing is, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose joy. Now, it doesn't mean things are always going to be easy. It doesn't mean I'm going to face, uh, not going to face hardships. But I'm going to try to choose joy when I respond to situations that seem bigger than myself. Because I can only imagine, as Joshua is leading the Israelites around Jericho, the seventh time, and then he says, shout, for the city is yours. He is proclaiming God's promise before the walls even fall down. And then they shout. They give a war cry and the walls fall down. I can't help but think the army was overjoyed because of what God had done. And so I want to choose joy. Now, as we close out the series, I'm going to leave you guys with two small announcements. The first one is simply this is we have a stack of books of Winning the War in Our Mind uh, still left at the info desk. Um, I'm giving those away today free because I don't want to store them. So if you don't have a copy of one, or if you'd like to give one away, grab one on your way out. I would love for them all to be gone today. Uh, The last thing is I uh, got a hold of Craig uh, Grishel, who wrote the book, um, and I asked him, I was like, hey, could you just give us a word of encouragement and pray over us as we journey through this series? And so he sent us a, a video back, and I wanted to close with his, uh, I'm going to call it a final benediction, but a word of encouragement as we close out this series. 
Hey, I'm Craig Rochelle, the pastor of Life Church, and I wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude to all of you at Grace Point Church. It's amazing to me and humbling that you're going to go through a 12-week study based on the book, Winning the War in Your Mind. And as you do, I just wanted to give you some personal love and tell you that this is a book and a journey that, to me, was very, very important because, like many of you, I had a war going on in my mind, and I had some thinking that was really not pleasing to God and not helpful to me. So I went on a very, very deep dive, years of studying, researching both what Scripture says and how Scripture aligns with what science says to learn how to renew my mind. And so over the next 12 weeks, for all the amazing spiritual leaders at Grace Point, I pray that God does a very real work in you because we know that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And if your thoughts are not honoring God, then your thoughts are taking you to the wrong place. And I pray that God will renew your mind so you wouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but you would be different and more like Jesus. May he bless every single one of you at Grace Point Church, and may you, with the help of God and through his word, win the war in your mind.